Welcome to the Books for Athletes podcast with your host, the publisher, Mr. Kelly Cole. Mr. Cole, a former athlete and best-selling author himself, has set out to take you behind the scenes of some of sports' forgotten heroes. He sits down with former professional athletes, college athletes, and sports coaches as they share stories of triumph, defeat, dedication, and perseverance. Here's Kelly. What's up, everybody? It's the publisher here, Mr. Kelly Cohen. Welcome to another episode of the Books for Athletes podcast. Today, I got my main man, Double J, Jermaine Jones. Man. Thank you so much for joining us, man. How you feeling today? Man, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Good stuff, man. How does it feel? I'm going to start off here. How does it feel to finally hold this baby in your hands? Like, when you got it, describe that feeling. Man, you know what? I, I'm still, like, anytime I see it, so many people been hitting me up, you know, taking pictures and sending it to me, letting me know they purchased it. And it's still registering, man. Like, just to be able to, you know, when I first got it, it was it still hadn't hit that, you know, that I'm officially an author now. Um, so, I mean, uh, it hadn't hit me all the way yet. Um, I'm pretty sure to get there at some point. Uh, I'm just excited right now just to see it, you know, and, and get everybody else's reaction. So, so I'm more excited about people getting get, getting to read it and kind of, you know, seeing a little bit about a, a little of what I've been through throughout my lifetime. <laughs> dope, dope, good stuff. All right. So for the people who let's let's talk to the people who haven't got it yet. Um, so what was your goal with with writing this book? What was your goal for the people who was going to read it? Um, it, it was more of just to, uh, you know, give give some things that I've had I've went through, you know, before, you know, playing professionally, even after I played professionally and just kind of give people ideas that, you know, no matter what you've been through as a professional athlete, there's still, you know, no matter how much money you make and, and all that kind of stuff, there's still, um, you know, which I'm a big mental health advocate. There's a lot of things that I went through. Um, during those times when everybody's seeing me, you know, playing on television and, you know, I had so many, uh, you know, big accolades just going up through my life and people thought it was easy. So I just trying to give people an idea on how hard it was, um, you know, even being a professional athlete, um, it was tough for me. And even afterwards, you know, you know, just give them that kind of uh, thing, let them know that, you know, life wasn't easy at all. And that's pretty much the idea I wanted to give, um, let them know about a little of the mental health issues that I went through myself personally. <laughs> gotcha. So when did that start? When did the mental health issue start for you in your career? Was it early on in high school, college, or when did that start? Well, from what, what I found out after going to counseling, um, going to counseling, this is something that was with me throughout my childhood. You know, a lot of things that, you know, came to me after I found out that basketball was just that coping skill for me. Um, you know, and once that ended, you know, it left me into a place where, you know, I had to pick back up to the things that was causing all the pain for me. And, and I was just able to use basketball to be able to cope. And then once that was no longer there, I was left at, at that spot again where, you know, I need to go get answers. I need to find out about myself. Why am I acting out this way? Um, you know, why am I so stressed out, you know, about life in general? So, you know, that was just, um, you know, childhood, a lot of things that we don't get to do. And that's why I like to reach out to a lot of youth now um, to be able to get those answers, to be able to have those kind of conversations earlier. And then you wouldn't be at my age at 42, 43 years old, still trying to figure out things um, when we can try to do it. The earlier we can catch it, the better it will be. Oh, man. Yeah. You say you, you you work with a lot of youth and things like that. What is that main message? Is it getting them help or what's your main message for youth today? Well, to be honest with you, man, my main thing is to trick them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I use me being a professional athlete to try to get these kids into the gym. You know, I use basketball camps. I use so many different things. Uh, you know, I get people I throw events and have you know, rappers come in and, uh, you know, have them, you know, quote some things and, and that, that gets them excited. That get kids in and then, you know, I kind of trap them into those conversations about, 
you know, mental wellness and, and uh, get, you know, just try to see where they are and see what, you know, conversations I can get out of them. And from there, you know, I can kind of, you know, have conversations with the, with the parents, uh, you know, even the parents, you know, that's what I'm learning now that even with the kids and we finding out things and being able to get help for the kids, I'm finding out now that, um, you know, we're helping the kids, but then they're going home to, you know, you know, where the parents are dealing with a lot of, so, so that's when I tried to figure out what can I do to be able to help the parents as well. So that's what the process I'm in right now. You know, I have the kids coming in at camp now having it where, you know, all right, parents, you got, you guys can't just drop your kids off. You know, we got something for you guys too. So we're trying to help the community, you know, as, as a whole. And uh, that, that's one of the things I'm working towards now. And, and the only way I feel I could do that is just getting out and, and being amongst uh, people. You know, uh, you know, of course, you know, me being a professional athlete is easier to be able to get, you know, to, to those guys. But to be able to get out to communities uh, is much more, more meaningful to me. <laughs> sure, man, that's good stuff, bro. So you grew up in Florida. Take us back real quick. So you grew up in Florida. How did you end up in Georgia? Like, tell me that whole that whole process. Yeah, born born and raised in Florida, man. It was a uh, it was rough childhood, man. I, I I tell people this all the time. When I was growing up in Cocoa, Florida, uh, we we was like top fifteen in murder rates. Wow. In the small town of Cocoa, Florida, and uh, you know that's what led my transition. Just being around so much drug dealing and and all that kind of stuff. Um, just being in a bad environment, and I think at thirteen years old was the turning point for my mom. Uh, me actually witnessing the murder after that point my mom was like okay that's it you know what I mean like we got to get you out of here you know to be able to get you a chance to be able to succeed and uh, that's probably the best decision ever happened man just me going to a small town called Camilla Georgia to be able to get a different lease on on life you know because just being down there only seeing drug dealers in in my environment you know, I couldn't wait to graduate school so I could do the same thing because that's all I seen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know all about that, man. I'm from Chicago. I was born in Cabrini Green Housing Project. So <laughs> that decision was my mama shipped me to Virginia. So I know all about that, bro. Absolutely. But good stuff, man. So how did you start playing basketball? Tell me, tell me about that. Um, I, I never even liked basketball at all, man. You know, Florida's a football state. Yep. You know, we football down there so so it was more of um it was more of all my friends play mm-hmm. uh, you know when I went outside to, to, to play uh you know to go outside to play all my friends was at basketball practice so you know that just led me to like you know what man let me go try basketball out and, and once I went and tried it out it was like love at first sight mm-hmm. you know I went in and, and and it was motivating even more than me just falling in love with the game it was more of like how all the kids was laughing at me because I wasn't that good. Hey, it's the publisher here, Mr. Kelly Cole. Listen, if you are a former professional athlete, if you are a former college athlete or sports coach and you're looking to launch your speaking career, let me tell you, you need a book. If you're already out there speaking and you want to track more high-paid speaking engagements, you need a book. It's not about creating more content to post on social media. It's not about recording a bunch of videos. It's not about doing more podcasts. The number one secret to attracting more high-paid speaking engagements or even launching your speaking career is a book. Hey, I'm the publisher, Mr. Kelly Cole, and I help former athletes and sports coaches create best-selling books in 30 days to launch their speaking career, even if they hate writing and don't know where to start. So for the first time ever, I've created a free case study video that will not only show you how to write a book from scratch in a little as 30 days and become a best-selling author, it will also show you how to attract more high-paid speaking engagements. Now, to check out this free case study video, click the link that says learn more or go to booksforathletes.com. Real quick before you go, do not go if you're not a former athlete or sports coach because you won't find any value in what I'm about to share. And don't go if your book is already out and already on Amazon. You won't find any value in what I share over there. But if you are a former athlete or sports coach, know that you need a book or um, already out there speaking and you want to launch your speaking career, 
go check out that link now. Writing a book is not as hard as you think. It doesn't even matter if you don't know where to start. My case study video will show you how to start and get it done and onto the bestsellers list. So go now. Yeah, that was one of the things that I used throughout my life, man. Um, anytime I heard anything negative, I always wanted to turn it into a positive. Um, so, so that's what, you know, from from them laughing at me that day, I was in the gym every single day from that age uh, of 11 years old, uh, trying to get better while they was playing video games. I was at the gym just trying to get better every single day. And uh, that's what fueled me, you know, kids laughing at me, telling me what I couldn't do. And just something that I always stuck with. Was it was it somebody in there with you? Did you have a trainer back then or you was just in there getting work by yourself? No, man. We, you know, back then, man, we ain't had no trainers. That's why I say these kids got it easy these days, man. They they got trainers, they got all the stuff that they need in front of them. You know, all, all we had to do was go watch television if we if we could, if we had cable to even watch the games. Um, you know, just kind of mimic your favorite players. And, you know, if you had somebody in the neighborhood that was pretty good and you like whatever moves they did, you just kind of mimic that. Um, you know, that that was our training, <laughs> self-training. <laughs> so tell me about your high school career. So, like, you play all four years in high school? Yeah. Uh, high, high school is probably the biggest uh, moment for me, actually, because, um, you know, coming from playing in middle school in Florida, I didn't really get uh, many of, of my family members uh, coming to the games. You know, everybody was working two, three jobs, and, you know, everybody had their own stuff going on. Um, you know, I, I had, like, two cousins possibly that used to come to my games in middle school, seventh, eighth grade. So me moving to Camilla, Georgia, small town, uh, just to be able to – and I still wasn't even good then, ninth grade. I was just – you know, got a lot of rebounds at that time. But just playing in high school there to look up in the stands and see all of my family members, like, that just gave me the momentum. Like, man, I had never had this before, but that made me work even harder because I wanted to be able to be sure that they continue coming to the game. And the only way I felt I could do that is get in the gym and work harder. <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. So when did you – so, like, what was, what was your breakout season? Was it your junior year or senior year? Uh, it was my junior year. Uh, my junior year, I was after, like, 30, 30 points. And it's funny how it came along. Uh, after my ninth grade year, you know, I was – I think I had, like, 22 rebounds in the game. I was averaging 12, 13 rebounds in ninth grade. I didn't even want to shoot the ball. And then 10th grade, my coach was like, look here, man, we're going to need you to score this year. And I was like, okay. And, you know, I scored scored a couple times, man, and I found out girls like that. <laughs> <laughs> so so after that, after 10th grade, man, he couldn't stop me from shooting. <laughs> so from, from 10th grade, it was – from 10th grade, man, it was pretty much on from there. <laughs> and then junior year, you start averaging 30. Tell me about your senior year and being recruited. Um, it, it, it's funny, man, because I was playing for the uh, Atlanta Atlanta Celtics. Uh, probably it's it's one of the top five AAU programs in the world right now, uh, and and like we were the first guys, me and Dion Glover, that really started that organization off, and uh, you know getting the recognition that we was getting. And I was, you know, every school in the country recruited me except for like two schools, and and that was Georgia Tech and and, and North Carolina. And Antoine Jameson was in North Carolina at the time, and Matt Harper was at Georgia Tech at the time. So I made sure I gave both of them thirty whenever we played them. But <laughs> I was, I was, but I was highly recruited coming out, and uh, you know, it, it was it was easy. It was an easy process in my senior year because I signed early. What made you choose Georgia? Why'd you sign early with Georgia? Well, just growing up, growing up without my. Uh, you know, growing up without my father around, my high school coach was my father figure. Uh, he was the guy that really kept me in line and, and uh, you know, always wanted me to learn more and be better. And, and he was that role model for me, not even on the basketball court, uh, you know, off the court. He was that guy that kind of, you know, stuck around and even off the court, you know, he was an assistant principal. So he would come to my classroom, make sure I'm in front of the class. You know, I was spending the weekends over at his house. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I went through my, uh, you know, making a decision about college, you know, I wanted that same kind of 
relationship with my coach. And I feel like the only person that I can have that kind of relationship with is somebody that looked like me. And, uh, and that's how I went about my recruiting process. Somebody that I could feel like a father figure and Tubby Smith was at the university of Georgia at the time. And, and that's how I made my decision. Dope, dope, dope. So tell me, all right, you, you make it to Georgia. Tell me about your college experience. Like, how was that for you? Uh, we know early on, man, when them chicks, you start making buckets. College is a whole nother <laughs> level. Let's talk about it. Man, college is, college is a whole nother level, all levels, to be honest with you, man, because it's like you almost have no time to yourself. Um, you know, you go going to school. Like, like when I went to University of Georgia, we had 6 a.m. individual workouts. Then after the individual workouts, we had to go to class all day and then – after that, we had to have a certain amount of study hall hours, you know, um, during that time. And, and, and then we got practice, you know, after that. So it's like by the time you you finish your day out, um, you know, I tell people all the time, being in college, man, and being an athlete is pretty much having to be like a, a full-time job, you know. So so it was, it was tough in the beginning because, you know, I had to learn about time management. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the most important things for me, um, trying to, work in and see what how I was going to manage my time and also be able to do the things that I enjoy to do as well. And, and we all know that University of Georgia's top five party school every year and national champions, by the way. Hey, go ahead, go ahead. Talk to the top. <laughs> Rep for your squad. That's what's up, bro. But yeah, so I, I had the same experience, but I didn't stay in school. Like when I, I played football. So when I went to college to play football, that's when I figured out, yo, I don't love this as much as I thought I did. I thought it was, a, man, I thought I was just going to, you know, be a breeze, just a breezeful trend. No, like you said, them 6 a.m. workouts, three mm-hmm. practices, meetings, and man, no, I was like, nah, I can't do this. That, that, that's when you find out, that's when you find out if that's what you really want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's when you find out like how bad do you really want it <laughs> exactly so how long did you stay in georgia uh, i stayed two years i stayed uh you know after my second year i really didn't want to leave university of georgia but i ended up firing the coach um who it's funny that i, I signed the school because of tubby smith mm-hmm. as soon as i signed he left to go to kentucky two wow. weeks later <laughs> <laughs> but, would you have went to Kentucky? Would you have went to Kentucky if he told you? I, I was gonna go to Kentucky, but then they still had the rule that I would have to sit out. I wasn't willing to sit out that year, so I was like, you know what, man, you know. And his assistant coach was still there that took over the job, so I was like, yeah, I, I'm not willing to sit out. <laughs> you know, I came to play. So, uh, and then the next year they brought out the rule: if your coach leave, you can leave. But it was too late at that point. And uh, I, I didn't really want to leave Georgia. I was having that much fun. Um, I hadn't made the NCAA tournament. We made NIT both my years. So, you know, I was looking forward into uh, my junior year because I had already had talks with Donnell Harvey, who was like the number one basketball player in the state. Well, actually in the country at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told me that if I stayed in school, he was coming. And then we had D.A. Lane, uh, who was coming from Wheeler who broke uh, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, all his records in high school. So I had a lot to look forward to. So yeah. I didn't really want to leave school. And then when the coach came in and he told me, uh, he told me if I left school, I'd be pumping gas in 10 years. So that was one of the things that led me to leaving. Really? Um, you know, like I said, as, even as a young kid, when you say things to me like that, I always try to turn that negative into positive. And I was just eager to leave just to prove them wrong. <laughs> Dang, he said you. So why didn't he believe in you? What was that about? What was that statement? Why did he make that Um, I, I um, uh, you know, after talking with people afterwards, they told me like he was one of those coaches that like to use reverse psychology. Mm. And you know that just didn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was trying to do the reversal, get you to stay, and you was like, I'm out. Right. <laughs> you know, he ended up coaching uh, Lamar Odom. He coached Lamar Odom at uh, Rhode Island, so I ended mm-hmm. up playing Lamar in uh, it, it went, uh, we played for the Lakers. Okay. And I ended up seeing him again, and, uh, you know, he had got fired and couldn't even work nowhere in college again because of all the legal stuff he was doing down in Athens. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and and it was weird because I remember when he told me that I called I called my, I called an agent. I say, look here, man, set up my workouts. And when when I went to my first workout, I wrote on a uh, I was in the hotel room and I wrote on a piece of paper, pumping gas in ten years. So I put it on the wall. So whenever I got whenever I woke up in the morning, I could see it. So that was my motivation going into every workout, pumping gas in ten years. Wow. And then I had the opportunity to see him at the Lakers game, and he asked me, did I remember him? And I was like, man, like, do I remember you? I say, first of all, I want to shake your hand because you're the reason why I'm wearing this Laker uniform. And then I just walked away from him. Probably one of the best feelings I had. Wow. <laughs> what year was that in your career? Had you had already beat the 10 years, or what year was that? Um, I had not. That was, that was actually uh, – what year was that? That was two two. Uh, that was actually my fifth year. That was actually my fifth year in the NBA at the time. No, no, no. Good stuff. All right. So tell me about. So you made the decision. What was the process from the decision to getting drafted? Like, what was that process like? Oh, uh, it, it it was tough, man. Um, you know, being projected to be a lottery pick. Um, you know just going in and, and uh, it was hard for me to even get workouts with guys that was supposed to be ahead of me. You know, people were being smart about who worked out because it was like a draft full of three men. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Wally Zerbiak, Lamar Oden was a three, uh, Corey McGrady was a three, Sean Marion, uh, who else? We had James Posey run our tests. You know what I mean? Like, it was like a whole list of guys. Manu Ginobili, who didn't get drafted to the second round. Like, it was a whole, like, list of threes at the time. So, and and we were all just trying to get workouts to be able to compete against each other to see, you know, what we could prove to, because we proje all project to be lottery picks. And we are, and it was hard. Like, Wally Zerbiak didn't work out with anybody. Really? It, it was crazy. So, so, so that process, just trying to be able to get in the gym with guys at, at, at that time, uh, you know, that was a tough process, especially when you're in competition, when you only can, you know, compare notes to what guys did against what teams when, you know, I didn't really get that opportunity to play against the top tier team. Of course, we played against North Carolina and Georgia Tech, but other guys, you know, playing in the ACC got other opportunities to play against them more than I did and other other big teams. And they made tournament. <laughs> yeah. So so that was one of the things that I was going to use, you know, for myself to be able to show them that I was just as elite as the other three men that was going on. So that was a tough – that was the toughest thing for me going through that process. Gotcha. How many workouts did you end up doing? I, only, I worked out for all the uh, lottery teams. Okay, just the lottery yep. teams. Yeah, all the lottery teams I worked out for because that's how I projected. So that's why I went after the lottery. <laughs> you know, I didn't get drafted to the 27th pick, and, and I was concerned because I had only worked out for the lottery teams. Mm. You know, I was at the draft. You know, they only invite you to the draft unless they think yeah. you're um, going to be lottery. So I ended up slipping. Um with Trajan Langner being drafted at 13 to Cleveland because wow. Cleveland told me that if 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 uh, Sean Marion was going at nine, they was drafting me at 13, and they end up drafting uh, Trajan Langner. Wow. Who nobody thought that would be in the first round. People expecting him to get drafted in the second round. Screwed the whole draft. <laughs> wow. So how, how, tell me about that feeling, though, sitting at the drive, you're slipping farther and farther down the line. Tell, what was going through your mind and how were you feeling? I should have stayed in school. <laughs> that was one of the things that was one of the things that I was going on, because, um, you know, for me, just sitting in there, I was the only one in the green room. Wow. And, and, you know, the lottery pick was gone. Now I'm sitting out here sweating. I'm looking at my age. I'm like, man, everybody told me I was lottery. What's going on? And, uh, you know, and then all the teams that was coming up to pick, I hadn't worked out for. Mm -hmm. So now I'm really nervous. Like, like, am I even going to get picked in the, in, the, in the first round? And then it was weird how things worked out because I ended up going to a workout um, in Philadelphia and end up having a, a conversation with Larry Brown, uh, who was a coach for the Sixers at the time. And, and we sat down and talked for like an hour mm -hmm. and just – through that conversation, man, my agent was kept telling me, like, man, Larry Brown's been trying to move up in the draft 
just so he can draft you. And then he told me at that time, too, he said, man, Jermaine, I really wish we had the opportunity to draft you, but we know that you're going to be gone. So that was a blessing within itself. You know, that's why I always tell the youth now, man, like, look, always represent yourself. You never know who you might need, you know, and and, and that, that was one of the times that it worked for me. <laughs> so you get drafted. Tell me what, tell the people, what, what was that rookie contract like? What was your rookie contract? Um, yeah, I was making uh, 640000 at that time, man, which I thought at the time being 19 years old, getting drafted, uh, I thought I was rich. <laughs> I thought I was rich at that time, man, making that kind of money. Being 19, got 16 aunties and uncles. Uh, you know, the most money they ever had was probably income tax time. So, yeah. you know, they thought I was rich, too. Nobody was really there to be able to tell me. I didn't learn about financial literacy or any of that stuff in school. So for me, that was, you know, I was, I was, that was like making millions of dollars for me. <laughs> so what was that rookie deal? So it was how many years for how much money? The lump sum? Uh, I can't remember the lump sum, but I do remember my first year I had a four, I had a three year deal and then they picked up my fourth year option, which was my fourth year option was, I think it was like, uh, like 1.1 million or something mm-hmm. like that. That was the highest that I had made. But then, you know, the breakdown, like I always give people the breakdown, like if you're making a million dollars, Uncle Sam getting half of that. Yep. Then, you know, and then the NBA take 10% back for your retirement. And uh, then your agent get 4%. So 64% of that money already gone before you even know. And, you know, don't have no child support or anything else like that, man. Uh, I was like, man, we making money, but not like people think. <laughs> how, how do they play? Do you get paid after every game or you get paid weekly? How does the NBA pay? Um, It depends. Uh, like like you can get paid. I mean, some guys, every, everybody get paid twice, twice a week. I mean, uh, twice a month, uh, the first and the 15th. And, you know, some guys get paid 12 months. Some guys get paid, you know, six months. Some guys get paid the whole year, you know, depending on, you know, how the guys want to get paid. And then you had guys like uh, Kobe Bryant who won his whole full contract up front. And they gave it to him? Kobe. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've never heard that. So the Lakers gave Kobe all his money for the whole year up front. Wow. Kobe wanted everything up front. I'm like, man, it's like, how you do that? It was, it was only a few of those that did that. Wow. Kobe, Kobe was one of them. So, so, um, so what's, what was that first check like? Your first check was how much? Um, I think it was like 40, 40 something thousand. 40-some thousand. What was that like? What did you do with your first NBA check? Man, my heart's so big, man. All I did was make sure my family was straight. I didn't buy myself anything. Um, you know, I made sure my mom had what she needed. Got her a car, a house, my sister a car, my aunt a vehicle. And, and like, I was the giver, yeah. you know, at that time, you know. And, and, and of course, your phone rings off the hook. You know, once you get drafted, you're getting phone calls, you're getting new cousins, you're getting new family members. You know what I mean? So you you know how that works out. And, and being 19 years old with the heart that I had, you know, it, it was hard. You know, and I tell people this all the time, like draft day was like the best day of my life and the worst day at the same time. Because I wasn't really to deal with, like I never knew success brought in, brought in on so much for me. And, and, until going through it. Talk about it. Talk about it. What, what, why you say it was the worst day? Well, because, you know, I just like to live life, man. I'm happy. I like to, you know, live simple and do simple things, man. And then it's like everybody else putting everything else on you and then everybody else's problems become yours. And you and, and if you care a little bit, you'll get caught up in that. And, and at the same time, you got to go perform every single night. Yo, what up? It's your girl, JC. And listen, I have to send a special shout out to my guy, Mr. Kelly Cole, and the entire team at Publishing Advantage Group and Books for Athletes. They took so great care of me to the point that I know I'm the pickiest person. This book was supposed to have been finished last summer. However, 
there were some details that I needed to make sure that the book had because my audience needed it. And, you know, when it comes down to feeding and serving the people, especially as a former athlete and telling your story, you know you cannot be selfish with the material and give it away. And they worked with me from the time of my thought process to the time of conception all the way down to now top 20 hot release best-selling author on Amazon in 24 hours. Listen, if you're an athlete, you have a story to tell and you don't know how to put it in book form just yet, don't worry, you're not alone, okay? Hit my guy, Mr. Kelly Cole, and tell him what you're trying to do, and I promise you he's going to get you right, all right? And, of course, check me out on Amazon after the season. Shout out to the Books for Athletes family. And after games, you got a million, you know, million messages where people are asking you for things, want this, and then your mom hits you up trying to help the world. And, and you know, that, that game's stressful, you know what I mean? And, and, and a lot of times – you know, you end up changing numbers and man, it, it, it's stressful being in that kind of position when everybody feel like, you know, that you have the answer to, to everybody's problems just because you have money. So, so that alone was a uh, very, very, very stressful for me to be able to keep intact because I didn't have an outlet yeah. to anybody to even have a conversation with. Nobody had, you know, that kind of money to even, even begin to talk to me about, how should I go about things? And then for me, it hurt the fact that even hearing somebody like, oh, yeah, he changed now since he mm-hmm. since he got drafted. You know what I mean? Like, I'm 19 years old. Like, I'm taking all that in. Like, man, what are y'all talking about? So so I'm going through all of this process when I got to go out every – playing four or five games out of the week and got to perform at a high level. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and dealing with all that. And they don't want to – you know, the NBA don't want to hear about what's going on off the court. No. I need you to out here to perform. That's what we paying you for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you on that. So what was it like? Let's get back to the dream part. What was it like? Very first practice, very first time going into an NBA game, man. Talk to me about your dream coming true, man. Let's talk about that. Man, it was, I was like a kid in the candy store, man, my first day of practice. But I got humbled very, very quickly. Talk about it. Talk about it. <laughs> You know, because I had, you know, ever since my, you know, my my sophomore year, I was always the scorer. Mm-hmm. You know, I had been scoring my entire life. And, uh, like, even in high school, I was, my senior year, I was averaging almost, what, 32, 33 points a game my senior year, and I was doing that in three quarters. Mm-hmm. Then went on to University of Georgia, leading the SEC and scoring. You know, all I ever knew was to score. And then I'm with the 76ers now. I'm thinking – they brought me in to help Allen Iverson score. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that, that's what was going on in my mind. And, and, and of course, you know, my first day of practice, I'm doing what I've been doing, scoring. Like, I'm getting buckets. And, and Larry Brown pulled me over to the side. He's like, hey, uh, look here, young fella. If you want to play for me, you better find something else to do. Because we got a little guy on our team who's going to shoot 50 times a night. Wow. <laughs> so so I was like, okay, that's a humbling experience. Let, yeah. let me <laughs> let me go over here and talk to some of these vets and, and, and get me some advice. <laughs> how was it being a teammate of AI? Man, he, he was actually one of the, my favorite uh, uh, teammates, actually, man, because his heart was so big. He gave so much to his teammates. Um, you know, even after every game, man, he was one of those guys that came in the locker room, win or lost, and tell his teammates how much he loved them, how much, you know, he loved playing with them. And you don't get that from your from your best players, man. You know, a lot of these players, people don't know, like, can be buttheads to you and, or are too, um, you know, strict on you getting better and want to win. But, you know, you get a guy like him who's, who's passionate about the game, put all the work in, and uh, night in and night out, tell you how much he appreciates his teammates. That means a lot to anybody that ever played played with a, a, a caliber player like Allen Iverson. And that's why he's a Hall of Famer. Dope, bro. Dope, dope. All right, we're going to fast forward because we're running out of time. Talk to me about that year four, man. 04 in the book, man. We That's that's where it got tough in Cleveland. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it was tough, man. It, it, it was tough. Everything was going downhill uh, from that time, man. Just – you know, on the court, losing, um, you know, losing family members, losing friends, um, being broke. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was a whole lot 
Um, everything got dark to me at that time. It was just like, man, you know, I, I made it to my dream, man, but like, why am I in such a dark place right now? Like, like I'm supposed to be happy with basketball, but I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be happy with life, but I'm not because I'm having to deal with so much stuff that was going on um, at the time. And, and, and anybody that's an athlete, you know, the goal is to win. You know, even, you know, my mentality of shooting marbles, I want to win. No matter what it is, I want to win it. And, you know, going from making the, making the finals and then going to Cleveland and, uh, you know, almost breaking the record for the most losses in a row, wow. you know, that, that, that really put you in a place where, like, man, what is going on in my life? Like, whatever I did, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was, you know, that was a very dark time. That was probably uh, probably one of the toughest times in my life, man, to be able to go be going through so much all at the same time. Um, you know, that that was a lot. And and I was only 23 years old at that time, and, and I was supposed to be happy about getting married. Beyonce, <laughs> you know, little, little, little thing on the side, little dip on the side. <laughs> and trying to keep it all away from it. <laughs> right. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about though that meeting with your agent when he told you you was broke, man. What what was that like? Um, it was tough for me to hear, man. You know, cause the simple fact uh, of like, at what point were you gonna let me know? Like, I was close. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I wouldn't think that you would continuously allow me to, you know, keep doing the things that I was doing because I, I, I knew I was giving a lot, but I would be expecting somebody to be like, hey, Jermaine, you know, you, you're really spending a lot of money. And and to know how much I was in the red, like, like that was more alarming than anything. Like, okay, I'm broke. So, you know, now I got to try to figure things out on yeah. who I'm going to stop helping. <laughs> And then to figure out, like, I'm in the red that much, like, wow, like, I got a lot of work to do, you know, to get out of this hole. So, so just, you know, that was stressful within itself to know how much in the red I was. How much were you in and, the red? Uh, man, I think I was in the red over a million dollars. Wow. A million in the hole. In the hole. <laughs> A million in the hole with 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 uh with two new additions and married. Had just got married, all of that. In the bucket. Wow. And in the book you talked about you wanted to get out of Cleveland so bad, and you said that was one of your worst decisions. And you told them you didn't go to your exit interview and ended up losing four million by just being hasty and getting out of there. Talk about that for a little bit. Well, I mean, I was still young in the head, too, and was going through a lot, wasn't thinking uh, clearly, and then really, I really wasn't surrounded by the right people to help me make the right decisions either. Um, you know, that that was tough. You know, I, and I didn't like Cleveland at all. Then I had, you know, uh, my son was about to be born at the time, and it was just, I just felt like it was overwhelming. It was just too much. It was cold all the time and dreary. You know what I mean? All that coldness coming off the lake and we were losing, you know, and, and I never thought, you know, even though LeBron James was practicing with us while he was in high school, I didn't think that, you know, I knew he was going to be really, really good, but I didn't think that he was going to be able to turn a franchise around that soon. Yeah. Um, you know, I, after going and, and playing in the NBA finals, man, I'm trying to get back to the playoffs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was one of the, you know, financially, I can say probably one of the worst decisions and being able to have an opportunity to play alongside LeBron James and, and be able to help what was going on there. Um, you know, that was tough, you know, especially, you know, being the fact that I was over a million dollars in the red, right. you know, that could have helped, that could have helped out a lot and with future, but to be honest with you, man, um, e even if I would have did that, it, it probably would have been the same. It, it probably would have been the same to spend the habits because I was still, you know, surrounding myself with, with, you know, the wrong people and was still giving to a lot of people. So, you know, even if I would have signed that deal, I'm pretty sure I, it would probably took me deeper in the hole. 
<laughs> what was those spending habits? So you said you had, who was on the payroll? Who were you helping every month and what were you spending on? Well, like I said, I had 16 aunties and uncle. I was looking out for an aunt and an uncle uh, who was in wheelchairs. Um, I was looking out for my aunt who took me in in university. I mean, uh, took me in uh, in small town of Georgia after I, lo- after I left. Um, I was taking care of my sister. Um, I was taking care of my mom for sure. And then I had I had four first cousins living with me and they weren't even working. So that means when I went shopping, they went shopping. So when I traveled and went somewhere and they wanted to come, I was paying for that. Whenever we went out to eat, I was paying for that. Like all of that, all of that tab was on me. Um, it was a lot. It was just a lot of people that was, you know, when I visited certain places and, you know, went to college or somewhere, you know, I was given, you know, I was given. That's all I was doing was giving, and, and it was nothing I was doing for myself, really. Um, you know, because I had I lived my dream. My dream was to make the NBA, and that you know I was satisfied with that. You know, money made everybody else happy. It ain't make me happy. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the goal was just to take care of your family. You you was doing that, so you was happy. I was um, happy. So nobody like your agent. There was nobody ever approached you about investing or planning for your future. Any of that. Nope. No one. Not even your agent was like, yo, if you do this. Do well, this. well, you got you got to think like my agent was a football agent, Like he represented all the football players. And uh, like he was the same agent that represented Scottie Pippen. And nobody could understand why would he have Scottie Pippen sign a long term deal. But yeah. people don't understand he had a football mentality. Yeah. Like get as many years as you can get. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying uh, under a contract. So, so it was, he was so busy with, you know, he had all the elite football players. And and, and the thing is that the, the reason I signed with them was because of Scottie Pippen. Like I wore number 33 because of Scottie Pippen. Wow. And when he took me over to, you know, to Chicago to work out, had me working out with Michael Jordan's trainer, Tim Grover. And then after we worked out, I showered and then he take me on a yacht with Scottie Pippen. Like, where do I sign? Basically, <laughs> basically, right? <laughs> That's what's up, man. <laughs> but good stuff. All right, so if you could do it all over again, we're not going to give them the whole book. If you could change a few things and do it all over again with your mindset, what things would you have changed along your journey? Mm. Man, I uh, probably would have stayed in school longer. Okay. I probably would have stayed in school longer and uh, man, I definitely would have went about it um, instead of giving so much. I probably would have set up something for people that I was looking out for that they really had interest in doing yeah. and help them with that where they had income coming in for themselves rather than me just like, emptying out to them. You know, that was one that was one of the major things that I would have done different. That's good. Good idea, man. All right, so let's talk about before we get out of here. Talk about the things you got going on, man. Like you said, you're all over the place. You're doing a bunch of big things, man. So tell the people what you got going on, what you got coming up. And your camera went out too, real quick. I don't know how. All right, there you go. Tell people what you got going on. Oh well, uh, well, this weekend I got something going on in uh, Valdosta, Georgia. I'll be going down there and really speaking to. uh, It's going to be a lot of military because I really want to get into that military space. Cause I think they're really a lot similar to uh, professional athletes yeah. where, you know, they go and put in the time and then, you know, once it's over, it seems like, you know, nobody remembers what they did for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I want to get into that space because I don't think people really relate too much. So I'm going down to speak to some military people and kind of give them my experiences where I can kind of shed light on me going and get uh, the help that I needed. Cause I think a lot of us as men, you know, think we're, you know, we can figure it out. And and, it, and it just for me to go down there and get that uh, this Friday, uh, Saturday, I'll be doing a free basketball camp to, uh, in Camilla, Georgia, actually, where I went to high school at this Saturday. Um, Sunday, I'll be having a community day down there to kind of, kind of show appreciation. Uh, it's the first one I've done, um, you know, since I left, man. I've been going through so much since then. And, you know, now I'm back in the space where I feel like I can give back and do things for the community. So uh, I'll be doing that on Sunday. Um, I got the gala 
the, the, the sneaker gala coming up uh, May 14th in Philadelphia. Um, it's it's going to be the first one under Beyond the Hardwood. Um, got a bunch of athletes that's going to be coming in, man. I'm excited about it. Who's coming um, through? Make the announcement on the podcast. Give us the ah, man. I got a lot of people coming through, man. Uh, Lamar Odom for sure is going to be coming through. Uh, Joe Smith will be coming through. Uh, man, we we got uh, who else? We got Tyree Washington who who won uh, Olympian. Um, we got man, we got so many people. I wish I had my list here, man, to kind of kind of go down the list. But we 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 have twenty. 20 athletes that'll be uh, coming through uh, to support the cause. Actually, four of them will be uh, are in Philadelphia right now. Mark Jackson, who does a lot with the 76ers, will be in there. Uh, who else? Uh, Aaron McKee will be around. Uh, man, it's, it's so many people, man. I wish I had my list so I can go down it um, so, so the people can get an idea who's going to be there. But I, I'll, I'll be getting – more updates and letting people know who here uh, starting next week and start putting the list out. So if people want to know who's actually going to be there. Man, it's so many and, and it's different sports, you know, it's different sports. Um, uh, Anthony King will be in two time Super Bowl winner uh, from here in Atlanta. Uh, and it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. And I'm very excited about that because it's a lot of athletes that's coming in that'll be actually, um, not ready to speak out, but I like to be able to have them in a the room so that they feel good about them not being the only one that's in there and, and giving the people, you know, ideas and see that that we're not immortal. You know, as athletes, we're not Superman. We're not superheroes. We're human human people. Um, to just to give the world that and, and let athletes understand. And it's therapeutic for me to speak out on it as well. And I'm just trying to get the other athletes in a good space where they feel good about speaking out. And the ones that haven't went and got the help, um, try to get them feel better about going in and talking with somebody if they need it. So where can people get tickets for that? Uh, you can get the tickets on the website, uh, beyondthehardwood.net. Um, you know, if you got, you know, companies or whatever, you know, we got packages, um, you know, it's going to be we, – we got up to 500 people um, that can get in. If you want VIP, it will be limited. So if you want to get the VIP tickets, which will be um, – we'll get give the VIPs an hour, um, you know, from 6 to 7 o'clock to be able to mingle with all the athletes to come in. Uh, you'll be able to do that uh, if you get the VIP, but it's very limited. So if you want to be a part of that, you need to go ahead and get your tickets right away because it will be a limited number of people who have been able to get that opportunity. <laughs> oh, man, we're excited about it, man. Books for Athletes will be in the building. And, man, we're excited to share, bro. Um, last thing before I let you go, how was it working with Books for Athletes in this process of getting your book done, man? Man, y'all made it so easy for me, man. I, I feel like I was I made it tougher on you guys. <laughs> Everything came easy for me, um, you know, just to be able to sit down and, and, and talk about the thing that I went through and be able to, you know, to do the, the things that you guys were doing, man, it made it so much easier, you know, cause I had been sitting around here writing a book in my head for 10 years and to be able to finally, you know, talk with you guys and see what you guys were doing, um, made, made my, like made everything for me. Like, like I would advise anybody that thinking, like I've been thinking for all these years to write a book, to be able to just go out and, uh, you know, get with you guys and, and, and see how easy the process was. And, again, I appreciate you guys. And, and hopefully, you know, well, I'm sure you guys will be able to come in and, uh, you know, get some athletes that will be very interested in, in doing it. Cool, man. Yeah, we look forward to you connecting us, man. We want to help as many of those guys tell their story as possible, man. That's why we're looking forward to your event. Um, was it anything else? But yeah, man, anything else? Any final words you want to say to that person who you want to get the book? Any young person out there that's going to listen to this and watch this video, man? Any final words? Well, yeah, um, you know, like I said, the book's out there. You can get it on Amazon. And if anybody out there, I'm a big mental health advocate, um, you know, for anybody out here in the community, you know, it's 2022 now, man. If you, you know, you want to be a better father, you want to be a better person, you want to be a better husband, um, you know, go evaluate yourself. It's okay. It's okay to get evaluated. It's okay to figure out things uh, for yourself. You know, that was one of the things for me. I was wondering why I was acting out in certain ways and figuring out so much stuff that came in my childhood. So 
So, um, you know, the biggest mistakes that we made when we look in the mirror, you know, sometimes it's the person that we don't see that's really causing a lot of function and uh, disruption in our lives. So let's go find out on, on who we are and, and, and go get that help that we need. Uh, and, and it's okay to go get help. You know, it's not mean you're crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go out there and get the help to help people that's surrounding you that can be proud of the things that you're doing and can live a lot healthier life. Good stuff, man. Last thing, tell the people where they can follow you, get more information if they want to book you for, to speak and all of that. Uh, you can you can follow me at uh, I am Jermaine Jones, 33, um, underscore beyond the hardwood um, is my business page. Um, you can email me for any business uh, stuff that, you know, speaking engagements, which I'm trying to get more of at beyond the hardwood ink uh, at Gmail and uh, ser serious inquiries. Now we want to, we want to be able to be serious about this because I'm serious about what I do. Um, so, you know, we're serious about me speaking, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. And uh, that, that's it, man. <laughs> Appreciate your time, bro. Last thing, man, how do you feel to be on the best sellers list, man? That's, that's crazy, right? Man, that was the goal, man. That, that was the goal, man, to be able to get that and, and be able to spread this word a lot more. So hopefully if I can get, you know, a lot more people, you know, to to get me come out and speak, man. And and, and it's not only on mental health stuff, man. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm big on corporate. And a lot of people that are doing corporate things, you know, don't get bigger corporate than, than the NBA. You know what I mean? So, so you know, if we want to go that way and, and do other things, man, I could speak on different, you know, different things and, and I'm open to do it. Uh, just shoot that email. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, bro. We'll see you next month, man. A couple of weeks, actually, man. Yeah, that's what I was just telling somebody, like, man, I think I got like a little under three weeks. <laughs> it's, it's, it's coming, bro. So, yeah, we'll be up there, man, the whole weekend, me and Doc, looking forward to it. Let us know, man, if we can do anything for you, bro. Okay, I appreciate it, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you. All right, man. Have a great evening. You too. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Book for Athletes podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, and leaving us reviews. And be sure, if you're interested and you want to get your book done, make sure you check out our free case study video at www.booksforathletes.com. Also, if you'd like for me to come to speak to your students or you're having an event and you need a speaker, I would love to be a part of it. Just shoot me an email at booksforathletes.com. Until then, we'll see you on the next episode.